Well, we're continuing on in our series going through the life of David, uh, and there is a lot to learn by going through all this. Uh, and so if you guys remember with me, um, David is, was been told that he's going to be the future king over the nation of Israel. Um, and then David, last week we looked at, is he goes up against Goliath, right? Uh, defeats Goliath. And so what's going on in David's life right at this point is he's feeling pretty good. He's at the mountaintop. He's, he's, uh, he's, uh, um, his popularity is going through the roof. Uh, he's feeling good. And just like for many of us, uh, when life is going really good, uh, it seems like... <clears throat> Something goes kind of, it can go bad, right? So the, you we have like roller coaster, the roller coaster effect. That's what's going on for David. He has this roller coaster effect going on where he feels like he's at the mountaintop and he's going to go through a lot of valleys um, coming up in the next how many chapters. And so as where David is right now at this point, he's gone from shepherd boy to savior of a nation, and he's the hero, and the army is returning, and that's where we're going to pick up in verse 6, 1 Samuel chapter 18. It says, and it happened as they were coming, when David returned from killing the Philistine, that the women came out of all the city of, cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet the king Saul with tambourines, with joy, and with musical instruments. The women sang as they played and said, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. Then Saul became very angry, for his this saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed to David ten thousand, but to me they have ascribed thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul looked at David with suspicion from that day on. There was, uh, there's an eye Saul is keeping on David. Because what is allowing to happen is he's allowing himself to compare himself to David. He's taking this silly song that wasn't met as an insult. In fact, they're, they're praising Saul. He's killed thousands. David's ten thousands. But what? It just sounds better for David. And that's taking Saul off. It makes him angry. He's jealous over the attention David is receiving over him. He's the king. He's going, what more can he have than my kingdom? And so Saul is frustrated, annoyed. It says he's angry. That's what jealousy is, right? That's why we got to be careful in our own lives uh, as individuals, that we have to make sure we're not comparing ourselves with others and we're not allowing jealousy to sneak in. It's like when at our work, at a job, that guy gets the promotion over you. And, and, it, and it hurts, it stings. And, and so we, it's easy in that moment to compare ourselves to that other person and, and go, well, I, I deserve this. I almost become jealous they got it over you. It's like that when we look over at the neighbor's house and they got the nice car, they got the nice house. It's easy to start comparing and becoming jealous. 
It's easy to feel that way when um, you're single and you're ready to mingle and it's, it hasn't happened for you yet. And you can get jealous and compare looking over at another, at a couple. And, and it's why we make the jokes of, around Valentine's Day that every, every, you don't want to stand it because it makes you uncomfortable because you're jealous of what somebody else has and you don't. That's what jealousy is. It's anger, like Saul is angry over the situation. He's angry because the circumstances aren't seeming to be in his favor. He's upset. That's what we are when we're jealous and allow jealousy to sneak into our life or, or we compare ourselves to somebody else. We're angry about the situation and the circumstances. And ultimately, that anger might be pointed at the situ- situation and circumstances, but it ultimately, it's, we're angry at God. We're going, God, you're, it's not fair about what, what's, all this is going on. It's not fair that, for me, I deserve better. I deserve more. And, and it's why the Bible tells us in Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, it says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And, and do not give the devil a foothold or an opportunity. And, and that's what we have to make sure we're not doing in our life. Saul's doing it. Saul's giving Satan an opportunity, a foothold into his life because of his jealousy, because he's comparing himself to David. And it, what we know through Jesus, he tells us in John 10.10, 10, the thief Satan comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says about himself, I've come to give you life and give it to you abundantly. And what we're going to see for the next few chapters is Saul, because he's given Satan a foothold in his life. His life is going to get messier and messier. And David, because he is a man after God's own heart, what we're told, His life is going to get messier because of Saul's decisions and his choices. But we're going to see David's faithfulness. And we get to see that even though life isn't always easier following God, life is always better. See, the very next day, what we're told in verse 10 Now it came about on the next day that an evil spirit from God came mightily upon Saul. So let's pause before we keep reading. What's happening? Um, This is something that if you read a few chapters before, you would see that uh, an evil spirit has come upon Saul before. And so what is an evil spirit from God? What is that? Um, If you remember the story of Job, Job was tested by Satan, and before he was tested by Satan, Satan went to God and asked for permission to test Job. And God gave an allowance. He allowed for it to happen. He allowed Satan to test Job. Same thing here. This is an allowance. This is God allowing this evil spirit to come mightily upon Saul. And you might ask, why would God allow it? Um, And the answer is, this is something that's rooted in Saul's freedom, his free choice, free will, that he's already chosen to rebel against God, disobey God. 
He's already chosen to allow jealousy to creep in in comparison. He's already chosen, he's already, he's a guy that's not following God. So God's going, okay, if you don't want to follow me, I'll just hand you over. I'll let you have the desires of your own heart. And an evil spirit comes upon him. And what we see as verse 10 continues, it says, and he raved in the midst of his house. He's having a little temper tantrum. And while David was playing the harp with his hand as usual, and a spear was in Saul's hand, Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, this is what's going on in his mind, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped from his presence twice. Catch what's going on. David often, when Saul would get in one of these moods, he would be pulled in to play the harp. And we know that. And David would play the harp and it would calm down Saul. But there's a different situation going on here. As David comes in and he's playing the harp, it notes there's a difference between Saul and David. In David's hand, did you catch it? And David's hand is a harp, and Saul's hand is a spear. Why the detail? And it's because David is a proven worshiper and a proven warrior. Saul is a proven that he's fixed on his power, and he's fixed on himself. And so as he's looking at the guy trying to calm him down playing a harp, he is looking at the threat that he thinks is thinking the threat for his kingdom. The guy that's after his power, after himself. And so he thinks to himself, it's, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm just gonna, in that moment of anger, he lashes out with the object that's in his hand, the spear, misses David twice. God protects David in that moment. And Saul can't save, uh, seem to throw a spear to save his life. But do you notice how David reacts? What he doesn't do is he doesn't seek revenge. He doesn't claim self-defense and throw a spear back. He just leaves. And, and probably pretty wise for somebody, if somebody's trying to kill you, to get out of there, right? But luckily, because David is a proven worshiper, we get to see inside what David is thinking. And David writes Psalm 18 for us, and it's, a, it's found that this would be written in a short time after Saul has tried to just kill David. Uh, and it starts out, and if you read any Psalms, you, would, you notice every once in a while there'll be a title above the Psalm. And, and that isn't looked at, and like here, this isn't scripture, this isn't the authoritative word of God. It has been added in afterwards, and it's looked at from scholars as being really reliable, uh, but just know it's not, it's not scripture. But it says this, the title says, For the choir director, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who spoke to the Lord the words of this song in the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all of his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And he said, so now here's David's thoughts. And remember, he's just coming off this high, of the mountaintop defeating Goliath. Everybody's celebrating him. They're singing uh, his praises as he's walking into town. Saul's just thrown the spear at him. 
Now he's at his low. The king's trying to kill him. And his response is this. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge. He's my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. And I am saved from my enemies. And it goes on of just this worship and adoration of God. Thanking him for being his strength, thanking him for being his deliverer, thanking him that he is his rock, thanking him he's the refuge, all of these words of just gratitude towards God. Claiming, hey God, this is who you are to me. This is why he starts out, I love you. That's pretty cool dedication. That's pretty amazing in the middle of this low that he's a worshiper that he's drawing near to God in that time. That's why we see what we see read next in 1 Samuel. It says, Now Saul was afraid of David, for the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. It was, Saul's afraid, and probably rightfully so, because God is providing and protecting David. Probably not a great idea to go against that guy, right? So Saul, verse 13, therefore removed him from his presence and appointed him as the commander of a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. And David was prospering in all of his ways for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he was prospering greatly, he dreaded him. But all Israel and Judah loved David. And he went out and came in before them. Everybody is loving David. He's being successful. God's providing for him. And Saul can't stand him. He dreads him. Walks into the room. Man, I hate that guy. Think about where his, his sin, how dark and ugly his sin is getting. It, it, it started at a moment of, well, it started with jealousy in comparison. And then it goes to, a moment of outrage, which we probably, okay, we maybe haven't tried to kill anybody, let's at least hope so, um, but we probably have all experienced the moment that we have this outrage, anger that overtakes us in this one little moment. And now he's gone from that one moment to now it's, it's deep. He's dreading him. It's internal can't stand him. In fact, what we see is as his sin's getting uglier and it's getting bigger and it's getting deeper and he's not dealing with it and he's allowing the foothold that Satan has to be a stronger grasp in his life. He starts to plan out the demise of David. See, when David defeated Goliath, Saul made a promise to the guy who would be the victor over Goliath, right? He made three, in fact. He made a promise of, hey, I'm going to make you wealthy, and I'm going to make the promise that you don't have to pay taxes anymore. And then he made the pro third promise of, you get to marry my daughter. Which, for David, he, he's now 
this is where in the story, his daughter, Saul's daughter, Merib, is offered up to David. And before Saul is allowing David to marry Merib, Saul tells David, I want you to go out and fight some battles for me. And what we learn in the passage is that Saul is thinking and hoping that David, when he goes out of battle, he doesn't make it back, that he dies in battle. In fact, doesn't that seem oddly familiar to something that David does in the future? Weird. But David, God is working and he's providing and he's moving and God works and provides for David in this moment allows David to be victorious. David doesn't die. But what Saul was planning all along was that David would die. In fact, he was so confident David would die out in battle, he gave his daughter Merib over to another guy to get married to him. So when David returned from being victorious, uh, Merib was no longer on the table. But Saul has another daughter, Michael. And Michael has a fancy for David. That's what we learn in verse 20. It says, now Michael, Saul's daughter, loved David. And when they told Saul, the thing was agreeable to him. He, he was like, hey, this is great. Another chance to get rid of this guy. So Saul thought, think about it again. He's thinking, this is what's going on in his internal thoughts. How deep and dark he, his sin is getting. Saul thought, I'm going to give her to him that she may become a snare to him. And that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. What we learn in a little bit is that maybe why Saul's thinking that she will be a snare to him. Some people would say, uh, would say it's probably because what we learn is she's, she's manipulative. She manipulates situations. Or some just go, okay, because of the love that she has for him, um, it will be maybe a distraction to David. He'll be off his game. But his goal is that David would die. And so it says, therefore, Saul said to David for a second time, you may be my son-in-law today. And it goes on. It says, then Saul commanded his servants, speak to David secretly, saying, behold, the king delights in you, and all his servants love you. Now, therefore, become the king's son-in-law. Isn't this just manipulation at its finest, right? Like, this is where Saul is saying to David, having his servants tell David, hey, the king delights in you. Man, he loves you. He can't wait for you to be his son-in-law. But that's not true. It's just Saul plotting out the demise of David in fact, he's, he's plotting out, he's so dark in this sin, he's using his own daughter as the pawn in the game he's playing. Probably not the head of the year. Goes on, verse 33. So Saul's servants spoke these words to David, but David said, Is it trivial in your sight to become the king's son-in-law? Since I am a poor man and lightly esteemed. Like, uh, David's just humble. There's nothing that special about me. I'm just a, I'm just a regular dude. And, and then he says, hey, I'm a poor man. Like, I don't, and what we learn here is when Saul promised one of his daughters to the victor over a Goliath, it wasn't scot-free. 
Like, yeah, he, he promises you can marry my daughter, but you're going to still have to pay the dowry for her. And so that's what David is admitting. He's like, I don't have the money for that. I, I can't afford it. And, and he's humbled to even be offered Michael in marriage. And so his servants, in 20, verse 24, Saul's servants report back to him. It says, the servants of Saul reported to him according to these words, which David spoke. And Saul then said, thus you shall say to David, and here's where things start getting weird, the king does not desire any dowry except a hundred foreskins of the Philistines to take vengeance on the king's enemies. Now Saul planned to put, make David a fall by the hand of the Philistines. Told you it was going to get weird. Um, in fact, I, I thought I would try to tell a joke here, but nothing really seemed appropriate. <laughs> so I'll just cut to the chase. Thanks. Um, why? Well, what's David doing is what happens next is David does the strange request. In fact, goes out um, and doesn't just kill 100 Philistines, kills 200 Philistines. Um, does the, the act um, and uh, then takes the baggie home. That's a weird picture. Um, puts it on the floor and says, Saul, I, look, here it is. And Saul's like, Congratulations. Uh, here's Michael. And so, why, right? Like, why is, like, this, I'm reading through this. I'm like, Mike got David and Goliath. This is what I get? This isn't fair. Um, but why? Why is, why is he Saul asking for this weird request? Here's the reason. Kill 100 guys, not, not very easy, right? Uh, in fact, that's a hundred different times Saul's hoping that David dies. You know, if you killed one, good for you. Hopefully you don't kill two. If you kill two, hopefully you can't kill 50. Hopefully you can't kill 100. So Saul's anticipation is Saul, David can't even do this. This is a crazy, impossible task that Saul's giving it over to David, which David does you know, crazy well. Um, and, and then why the min, mutilating the body? Because it's exactly that. You know, just to kill 100 guys, the Philistines are going to be ticked off. If David succeeds, Saul's plan is, I don't seem to be able to kill this guy. I can't throw a spear to save my life. And everything I send him to go do, he does, and he succeeds in everything. So he's frustrated. So he's thinking, if I can make the Philistines hate this guy even more than I do, which was saying something, then, hey, this is a win-win situation for me. So kill the 100 guys, the Philistines are going to be ticked. Mutilate 100 Philistines' bodies, they're going to be even more ticked off. And why the specific way of mutilation, by the way? It's because if you remember, circumcision was a, a sign Israel had with the covenant they made with God. And so it would be like a Zorro moment. You know, the, the, you can picture Zorro, and he takes out his sword, and he puts his Z out there, and he's like, hey, I want to know everybody, to let everybody know this is who did it. That's why. 
Why the weird request? Because he wants the Philistines to know who intentionally did this so that they will hate David even more than he does. But David's successful. God provides, helps him. And, and it goes on, and David goes and fights some more battles, marries Michael. Everything is looking good for him. He's back on the mountaintop. And then here comes the valley. In 1 Samuel 19, Saul is fed up. His sin has gotten so dark, it went from just a moment of outrage to this hidden sin. Now he doesn't even care if everybody knows of his hatred. He puts a bounty on David's head. It says, now Saul told Jonathan, his son, and all his servants to put David to death. But Jonathan, Saul's son, greatly delighted in David. See, we already, if, if you reread the very beginning of chapter 18, we would already know that there was a friendship formed between David and Jonathan. Um, in fact, if you think through this, David just defeats Goliath. He's victorious. Jonathan walks up, the king's son, and, and he's a proven warrior in himself, and, and so is David. So they have this common bond between each other, and that f- makes them kind of form this friendship. It would be like two soldiers today. Like they, they would form a brotherly bond between each other that they love each other because they've gone through some crazy, incredible, not incredible, it's awful, maybe moments so that they've experienced together. They have this common bond and it forces them, it forges them together where they're gonna go, hey, we've both experienced this. I'll do anything for you. I'll lay my life down for you. That's the way it is for David and Jonathan. It is this two warriors going, you know what? Man, I care about you. I'll do anything for you. In fact, what we also learned about Jonathan here in the beginning of chapter 18 is Jonathan puts his political allegiance behind David. That's huge. That's important. But what I think is so unique is right at that beginning of chapter 18, everything is great for David. It, he's, on this, he's on this mountaintop, the high. And God provided in that moment a great friend for David. That he knew he was going to need here when Saul puts a bounty on his head. And, and Jonathan stands up. In fact, verse 2, it says, So Jonathan told David, saying, my, Saul, my father is seeking to put you to death. Now, therefore, please be on guard in the morning and stay in, secret, in a secret place and hide yourself. Again, he's just, he warns them. But he doesn't just warn them. He doesn't just, hey, hey, just let you know, go hide. He goes above and beyond that. He goes and confronts his dad. And this is what Saul Jonathan says next, he says, I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are, and I will speak with my father about you. If I find out anything, I'm going to tell you. Then Jonathan spoke well of David and to Saul, his father, and said to him, do not let the king sin against his servant David. Notice the way he says servant. He says, don't let your, the king sin against, not your enemy, but your servant, David, let me remind you of that, Dad. 
since he has not sinned against you, and since he, his deeds have been very beneficial to you. For he took his life in his hand and struck the Philistine, and the Lord brought about a great deliverance for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by putting David to death without a cause? And Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan, and Saul vowed, as the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. Then Jonathan called David, and Jonathan told him of all these words, and Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as formerly. Man, what a kind of bold statement, bold decision from Jonathan. Hey, he comes up to his dad, and he's like, Dad, you, you can't do this. Like, this is wrong. Hey, remember when nobody else wanted to go against Goliath and David risked his life and he was victorious and God provided in that moment? Hey, hey Dad, even remember, you celebrated that. You were joy, you were, you were happy. So what gives? What's changed? What's going on? Why are you trying to kill him? You can't. He's done nothing wrong. And whether Saul is meaning to keep this promise or not, Saul makes a promise. It could just be manipulation just to make Jonathan happy. Could be him lying or he could truly mean, feel kind of bad about what he's been doing to David. And he makes a promise not to kill him, not to hurt him. But that doesn't last long. Even though everything seems to go back to normal, David goes out of war in the next verse. It says, when there was war again, David went out and fought the Philistines and defeated them with a great slaughter. So they fled before him. And now he goes back and he's playing the harp. It says, now there was an evil spirit again from the Lord on Saul. And he was sitting in his house with his spear in his hand. And David was playing the harp with his hand. Notice the difference again. Saul hasn't learned He's still doing the same things. He's still fixed on his power. He's still fixed on himself. He has the spear in his hand. He hasn't learned his lesson. David is still the proven worshiper, still the proven warrior with a harp in his hand. And Saul sees his threat in front of him. So Saul, verse 10, Saul tried to pin David to the wall with the spear but he slipped away out of Saul's presence so that the, he stuck the spear into the wall and David fled and escaped that night. Once more, David doesn't try to seek revenge. Doesn't pick the spear out of the wall and throw it back. What does he do? He trusts God's timing. He trusts that God has a plan because what he has been told is that he's gonna be the future king. And he trusts it in that plan. He doesn't question it. He probably doesn't understand why all of this stuff is happening, this craziness. He just goes along with it. He runs, gets out of there. Now Saul's angry. He's ticked. And what happens next in the story is that Saul, David goes home and Saul sends messengers to watch over the house. And Michael, David's wife, 
Remember, Jonathan just stood up for David. Now Michael, David's wife, doesn't kind of go with her dad. She goes with her husband, both kids. And she helps David escape. David gets out of there, and she goes upstairs, and, and she stuffs the bed to act like David's there. You know, we've all done that. <laughs> and the messengers come and knock at the door, and uh, they knock on the door, and they're like, hey, your dad, uh, Saul, he told us to come get David. Uh, and they're not telling her that they're here to kill him. They're just like, hey, we got to come get David. And she's like, hey, sorry, he's upstairs, he's sick. Again, here's where she's maybe learned from her dad how to manipulate out of the situation. But she manipulates it, she lies, and she just goes, hey, uh, he's upstairs, he's sick. Can't come out to this outside of play right now, boys, sorry. You got to come back another time. And so they go over and they report that back to Saul. And Saul's like, guys, like, I don't care if he's sick. We're not trying to give him a cup of soup. You know, it, this is, my plan is to kill the guy. So go grab David, bring him here, and let's get this done with. So they go back. And, and they're going, they're like, knock, knock, knock. Michael, hey, we got to come in. We got to grab David. Your dad really wants us to. Doesn't care if he's sick or not. And she's like, oh, he's upstairs. And they go upstairs, and they find the stuffed bed. And they're now like, ah, shoot, we got to go and tell this to Saul. So they go and tell Saul, and Saul is ticked off. In fact, he goes to his daughter, Michael, and he tells Michael, hey, why did you let my enemy go? Why did you help my enemy? Remember, Jonathan just reminded his dad, David's not your enemy. David's your servant. Now Saul is going, why did you help my enemy? And she manipulates, lies in the situation again. And she's like, Dad, uh, he, he tried to hurt me. He tried to kill me, so I had to let him go. And she, he, Saul buys the, the, the lie, and now he's even more ticked off at David. Could you imagine how that might feel for David? Like David's been out the, the mountaintops. He's at the valleys. He, everything's going good. Everything's going bad. Every, everything's going crazy for him. And David writes another psalm for us just to read what's going on in this moment. Again, there's a title at the beginning, and it says, For the choir director, set to El Teshet, a miktam, which a miktam is just a poem or a song of David, when Saul sent men and they watched the house in order to kill him. And now here's David's, what he's thinking, his words to God, and he says, he says, deliver me from my enemies, oh my God. Set me securely on high, away from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from those who do iniquity and save me from my men of bloodshed. And he just goes on with that same kind of tone. And it's almost, you can read the desperateness of David in that moment. He's, as he's crying out to God, going, God, help me. He's in this moment, he's scared. He doesn't know what to do, and he's just crying out to God. He draws near to God. And what we know through Scripture is if we will draw near to God, he draws near to us. And what's crazy is as David flees and he says those words to God, what we read in 1 Samuel 19 as the story goes on, it says, Now David fled and escaped and came to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. And he, 
And Samuel went and stayed in Naoth, and it was told Saul, saying, Behold, David is at Naoth in Ramah. Then Saul sent messengers to take David. But when they saw the company of the prophets prophesying with Samuel standing and presiding over them, the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. And when it was told Saul, he sent other messengers, and they also prophesied. So Saul sent messengers again. The third time, and they also prophesied. What's going on? It's another weird kind of moment, story. See, God is taking this plan of Saul, and he's literally just stopping it, halting it. He takes these guys who were sent for a a mission, a purpose, to go and take, capture David and kill David. God just overrides their plan, their mission, and actually gives them a, a spiritual moment where they're having to recognize who God is. And so Saul hears that their messenger, his messengers haven't done anything, haven't gotten David, so he's not happy. So he goes himself, verse 22. Then he himself went to Ramah and came as far as the large well that was in Siku. And he asked him and said, where are Samuel and David? And someone said, behold, They are at Naoth and Ramah. And he proceeded there to Naoth and Ramah. And the Spirit of God came upon him also, so that he went along prophesying continually until he came to Naoth and Ramah. He also stripped off his clothes. And he too prophesied before Samuel and lay down naked all the day and all the night. Therefore they say, is Saul also among the prophets? Which, of course, Saul is not among the prophets. And... uh, Saul is just like his messengers being overrided. Saul has this plan, and he's trying to go and do it. And God says, sorry, Saul, that's not my plan. So he overrides Saul, forces Saul to have a spiritual moment recognizing who God is. And it's not a saving moment. There's no repentance happening. Saul's not repenting of what he's been doing. He just is forced to stop. And David is allowed to get free. God provides, rescues David, helps David in that moment. Personally, I'm reading through this and I think, okay, David's words as he draws near to God and he goes, God, help me, save me. And then Saul sends messengers to go kill him. Saul goes himself to kill him. And God does. He answers the prayer. And the story goes on and Jonathan, or Saul, or David goes and finds Jonathan. After this moment, he flees, runs, finds Jonathan, his best friend, and he goes, hey, you got to understand, your dad is trying to kill me, and Jonathan doesn't believe him right at first. In fact, Jonathan's like, hey, my my dad made a promise to me that he wasn't going to touch you. So Saul has been keeping the secret that he's been pursuing, trying to still kill David away from, out of the sight, out of mind of Jonathan, because he hates him. He doesn't want Jonathan to try to come and say, hey, Dad, this, you can't keep doing this. It's wrong. So Jonathan and David form a plan to kind of figure out, is Saul really trying to kill David or not? And Jonathan goes ahead with that plan. And, and Jonathan confronts his dad again. And what happens is Saul hasn't learned once again from his mistakes. He has a spear in his hand. And as he's listening to Jonathan, his son, defend David. He gets ticked again. 
And it, out, it has another moment of outrage. And he throws the spear at his son this time. He can't have a great relationship with his daughter anymore because he's, he's tried to kill her husband. Isn't having probably a great relationship with his son anymore because one, he's been lying to him. And two, he just tried to kill him. Think about how messy it's gotten for Saul. And Jonathan flees, runs, warns David that his dad is trying to, that the King Saul is trying to kill him. Jonathan, or David runs, and for over the, over the next decade, David is on the run, and Saul and David do this cat and mouse chase game. And in that period of time, David writes, uh, he continues to write psalms. We know that, but in that specific period of time of over a decade, he writes some more psalms. One of those is Psalm 34. And listen to this. This is where David is at as he's homeless, as he's running from his life from the king of Israel, as he's try, probably figure, trying to wonder, what's God's plan for my life? Why is all these things happening? Why is it all going wrong? He writes Psalm 34, starting in verse 4, it says, I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and he delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant. And their faces will never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. Think about the words. As he's writing this at his lowest, he's in the valley. And he writes in verse 8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. And Psalm 34 just goes on. It's filled with expressions of David is saying of God's goodness, his deliverance, his protection. He's just thanking God. I don't know where you're at this morning, whether you're feeling like you're at the mountaintop or you're in the valley. If you're at the mountaintop, we got a lot of reasons to thank him today, right? To worship him. And if we're in the valley, let's learn from David and his life. As he's going through the roller coaster of life, he's a proven worshiper. worships God with his confidence he draws near to him knowing that God's knowing that God has a plan not questioning it trusting in it here's the thing for us if when we're if we're in the valley let us like David draw near to God and life in him it it doesn't mean it's going to be easier but it does mean it's always going to be better if you guys would Stand with me and let's pray.
So God, thank you for this day, and we thank you that we get the reminder of David and his life here. That as he's going through the highs, lows, the roller coaster of life, he trusts you. He walks closely with you. He draws near to you. It doesn't, the valley doesn't make him question you. It makes him more confident in you. And he just worships you. Lord, help us to do that. And if, Lord, if we're in the mountaintop, let us thank you today for that. The blessing of that. And Lord, if we're in the valley, Lord, help us not to question you and your plan. Lord, help us to trust you and what you're doing. Even though we might not understand, help us to worship you. In this next song, I pray that we would do that. Wherever we are today, we would worship you. Lord, we, because of what you've done for us and how you've provided, Lord, we love you, we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.